As you are finding your seat, I want to encourage you to also find your place in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 13, if you're using the Journey Bible that's provided, it's page 1302, Mark chapter 13. We're going through this series called The Road You Don't Expect, and Jesus is on this unexpected journey, not to him, but to everyone else, unexpected journey to the cross. And our text today takes place on the Tuesday before his crucifixion. The triumphal entry had just happened. Large crowds were following Jesus. He'd been teaching the last few days in the temple courts, sparring with the religious leaders, frankly making them look silly. The great Passover celebration was just a couple days away when they celebrated the Israelites, how God had brought them out of Egypt with an outstretched arm, with a mighty hand. And from the disciples' perspective... Everything is looking good. But what we discovered even last week is that appearances can be deceiving. Flowing robes and large gifts don't mean that things are spiritually well. And so Jesus is in the temple courts, and before he leaves, there's a quick lesson that he then picks up later on the Mount of Olives. Chapter 13, verse 1 says this. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, Jesus replied? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Kind of ominous. They leave the mountain upon which the temple is, go down through the Kidron Valley, and over to the Mount of Olives. As Jesus was now sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're about to be fulfilled? And Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming, I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and of rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of birth pains. And then Jesus goes on and talks about trials and tribulations. In verse 24, his glorious return and concludes at the end of the chapter with this, verse 32. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. And the final word of the chapters is our key word, watch. Watch. Many years ago, I received a very unexpected phone call that turned my world upside down. I was finishing graduate school, and at the time I was working for a company outside the Chicago area, picking up parts, driving a delivery van, kind of doing emergency pickups as they needed them. And one morning, I happened to be traveling right past our apartment. And uh, my wife, Tammy, was seven and a half months pregnant with our first child. And I thought, what a great opportunity for a surprise. I'm going to pop in and surprise my wife, who happened to be off work that day. Just a quick two-minute hello, kiss, and goodbye. So I did that. She was surprised, just like I thought. As I was leaving, I gave her this big A-frame hug because she's really short, and when you're pregnant, it just can only go out. That's the only direction it can go. 
And I bent down and I kissed her belly. And I said, hi, baby. Daddy loves you. Why don't you come out and see me sometime? I kissed Tammy goodbye, hopped in the van. On the road I went, life is good. In less than five minutes, the phone in the van rang. And it wasn't the company. It was Tammy. And she said, you need to come back. My water just broke. I thought, oh, that's funny. You know, I said, hey, come out and see me. My water just broke. She's like, no, seriously, the baby is coming. And my first thought was, what a very obedient child. Um, and then my second thought was, we're not ready for this. We're completely unprepared. No overnight bags packed, physically, emotionally unprepared. I went back, I whisked her off to the hospital, and suddenly the peace of our lives exploded into a frenzy of chaos, doctors, tests, induced labor, emergency C-section, neonatal intensive care. It was a whirlwind. Our time of what we thought was going to be great joy and anticipation was mixed with fear and anxiety, and I didn't know what to think. And I didn't know what to feel. And I didn't know what to do. Mark chapter 13 is a long, seemingly complicated teaching about the trials and tribulations that Christians must face before the return of Christ, the end of days, and our greatest joy. And studying this can be kind of confusing, kind of scary, kind of hopeful. What do we think? What are we supposed to feel? What are we supposed to do? There are two common responses to studying end times things in Scripture. Complacency and fear. Complacency. We study this stuff again. This seems too complicated. Things about day of the Lord and abominations that cause desolation. And, you know, life is good the way it is anyway. Why do I need to think about this? There's no wars in my neighborhood. And it's, that's all in the future somewhere, isn't it? If it's even going to happen at all. And I'd say that our current culture, even in the church today, reflects that. In fact, anytime life seems good and comfortable, there's no longing for the return of Christ. And that's exactly where the disciples were. What a magnificent temple! Jesus is with us, everything is on its way up. It's coming along nicely. The opposite response is equally dangerous, and that's fear. We read passages like this, and we didn't even get into the worst of it yet. Persecutions, sufferings, antichrists, marks of the beast, apocalypse, ah! And it's worry and fear. And the reason we get caught up in complacency or fear is that we're asking the wrong questions. We're asking the same questions that the disciples are asking. When and what? When and what? When we ask when and we get all caught up on the, the, the sequence of events, we end up with charts like this. Let me put it up on the screen. Yeah, this is, you know, I remember this as a kid seeing all these, you know, oh, this is what's going to happen. And people study and they argue about is this first and that first and Christ is coming and tribulations and raptures and ah. And, and we just get so focused on the what that we miss what's most important. When we focus, uh, excuse me, on the when, when we focus on the what, what's going to happen, the trials and the tribulations, we end up with this next picture. But, I don't know if you can see that very well. You know what, you know what that picture is? Somebody asked one of the artificial intelligence engines to create the last selfie before the destruction of the world. 
That's what, it, that's what AI came up with right there. Kind of scary, don't you think? Today, I want to paint a different picture. Let's take that one off or we'll get freaked out. I want to paint a different picture this morning. One of joyful expectation in the midst of trial. And it all comes by asking the right question. Not when and what. The key question this morning is who. What gets a woman through the pain of childbirth, the pain of the contractions? It's not focusing on the when and the what. It's focusing on the who. I get to meet my baby. That's what gets them through. And if we're to navigate this passage, if we're to navigate the Bible's teaching on end times, indeed, if we're to navigate the end times themselves, we can't obsess about what or when. We have to focus on who. The revelation of Jesus the Christ. That's the answer. Our lesson this morning is simple. Keep watch. Only a sincere longing for Jesus Christ can overcome the traps of complacency and fear. Now next week, Norm's going to speak. This is sort of a two-parter. He'll give more details and more application. But my job is to give sort of an overview. So let me put up on the screen sort of the structure of chapter 13. It'll really help us out. The first few verses and the last verses are what I call a time of quiet ignorance or anticipation. This is Jesus talking to the disciples in that moment. The contractions haven't started. Jesus hasn't left and returned. Things are going well. And those are dangerous times when things are going well. So he moves, tries to move them from ignorance about what's happening to anticipation. And then in verses 4 to 23, he starts talking about the trials and the tribulations, the contractions that are going to come. And in the middle of that, there's a special event that he's telling them about in AD 70 that's going to be the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And then very briefly, in 24 to 27, he talks about his coming return. The glorious realization of Jesus Christ. On a giant scale, that is salvation history. We anticipate, we struggle, and then we realize the blessings of God. And that happens on a small scale as well. In fact, over the next five days in the story here that's unfolding in Mark, it's going to happen again. On Thursday, they'll celebrate the Passover meal. And everything is good. For the disciples, it's ignorance. But Jesus is trying to get them to anticipate what's coming next. In just a few days, though, the contractions start. Jesus is arrested. He's beaten. He's crucified. He's killed. And he's buried. But on Sunday, the glorious realization of a resurrected Jesus Christ. And that cycle happens in small microcosms in every one of our lives. It happened when my child was born. He's doing well now. Praise God for that. That cycle is happening even now in my life as I get older. Someday, unless the Lord returns, I will die. And right now, I can either live in quiet ignorance of that fact, pay no attention, or kind of a quiet anticipation. Like, there will come a day when I will breathe my last. Am I ready? And even as I get older, I begin to feel the contractions a little bit. I feel the effects of aging. I see the suffering in the world, and I get ready. 
Not because it's going to end in horrible pain. No, there will be a glorious realization because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You see that cycle happening even now. I I have to be getting ready for that. So the key is this. If we begin to long for Jesus Christ in these smaller experiences, we'll be ready for him in the big ones. If you can long for Christ in the small sufferings, you'll get through the big tribulations yet to come. So regardless of what stage we're in, the lesson really is the same. The word from Jesus is the same. It's this. Keep watch. So first thing, in times of peace, prepare for the coming crisis. If you find yourself in that Tuesday celebration of life is good like the disciples were at, if your team wins the Super Bowl this, you know, today and all is good, what do you do? Don't become complacent. Prepare for the coming crisis. If you're enjoying times of peace and prosperity, if everything looks magnificent, be grateful, but be on guard because the water can break at any moment. And will you be found ready? Hard times are coming. Jesus is warning them and he's warning us. There will be persecution. There will be famine. There will be wars. Are you ready? And I'm not talking about ready, meaning like uh, I've got enough money in the bank and I've got food in the emergency shelter in the basement. I'm saying, are you spiritually ready? Are you cultivating a heart that is prepared for hardship, that will lean on Jesus through persecution? Are you fighting complacency? Now, when I was younger, I didn't get all the fuss about this end time stuff. People older than me were really kind of obsessed with this. And I get it now. They, they had come out of World War II. They were experiencing the war in Vietnam, upheaval of geopolitical uh, consequences. And so many of them picked up the cry of revelation, which is this, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That was their focus. But even as a Christian, even someone studying to be a pastor, it wasn't mine. If I were gut honest with you, Here was my response. Don't come yet, Jesus. Because I want to get married. I want to have kids. I want to see them grow up. And even now I can fall prey to that. I want to build my career. I want to enjoy retirement. I want to see my grandkids grow up. So Jesus, come, but not quite yet. What does that tell you? I've forgotten my first love. I'm not motivated by wanting to know Christ. See, the good things that you enjoy in life now that make you complacent, can I just tell you, those are appetizers. They're little appetizers. Don't let them fill you up so that you no longer desire the main course, which is knowing Jesus Christ. I've grown older. I see the world better now. And I want to tell you, like Jesus was telling his disciples, that war and disease and loss of life is often just around the corner. And it's happening now in various parts of the world, so keep watch. And in your life, sickness and aging will come, so keep watch. The evil one prowls around looking for someone to devour, so keep watch. I had a good friend who um, was older than me, obviously, was uh, in, the, in the jungles of Vietnam. And he told me that it was a very 
interesting time when he wouldn't have the courage to talk about it. He said it was lots and lots of waiting and lots and lots of quiet with sudden bursts of hell. And you just never knew when it was going to happen. And what was drilled into their head by the army was this phrase. He said it once. I wrote it down. I've never forgotten it. This is what they were taught. When not engaged with the enemy, strengthen your position. When not engaged with the enemy, strengthen your position. What do we do? When not engaged with the enemy, we get comfortable and complacent and forget there's even a battle. Let's not be those people. It's so easy to fall asleep in the warmth of a pleasant life, not ready for the trials, not looking for the return of Christ. Do you want to know how hard it is to stay ready, to stay awake? Jesus has left Jerusalem. He's on the Mount of Olives now, right? Looking back across the valley, talking about the temple, tells his disciples, especially these key ones, Difficult times are coming, so keep watch. Multiple times he says it. Be on guard. Keep watch. Stay awake. It's repeated through the whole chapter. And we think he's talking about somewhere distant in the future, and he is, but he's also talking about that week. Because two nights later, Thursday night, they celebrate that Passover meal. And what do they do? They leave Jerusalem. They go down through the Kidron Valley. They come back to the Mount of Olives to a special place called Gethsemane, which isn't a garden, by the way. It's an olive press. That's what it means. They're in the olive grove. And here is Jesus, knowing what is about to happen, seeing the big stones that crush olives, and he's feeling the weight of the fact that he will soon be physically crushed for our sins. And he says to his disciples, do you remember this? We're going to see it in a few weeks. Keep watch with me. Stay awake and pray. What he had just told them about days earlier in the passage we're looking at. And he goes a little further in by himself and he returns. It's the return of Christ in microcosm. He returns. And what does he find his disciples doing? They're asleep. They didn't get it. And he wakes them up. And he says, can't you stay awake? Stay awake with me. And he leaves again. And he returns again. Did they get it this time? No, the text tells us their eyes were heavy. They'd eaten a lot. Good food, a feast. It's like the Super Bowl night. And he says, stay awake. Third time, he leaves, he comes back. They're asleep again. And he says, wake up. Here comes my betrayer. And I want to tell you that in that moment, despite the warnings, they utterly failed. Soon Peter denies that he even knows Jesus, and they all flee. Will that be us? Or will we stay awake? How do we keep our eyes open? The answer is this. Don't get consumed by complacency. Don't get consumed by fear of the trials. We've got to peek behind the curtain and see the glorious coming of Jesus Christ. That's what will keep us awake. And I can tell you when it began to happen in my life. As I, I, there was a time I went to a pastor's conference in Atlanta, Georgia. We were in the, some dome there in Atlanta. Probably like 50,000 of us. And we began to worship. And somehow the Spirit of God broke through to me. And as I was singing, 
I don't it must have been something to do with the song we were singing. You can't even tell you what it was. I suddenly just realized this is a taste of glory. This is just a taste of what will be when Christ returns and I'm fully in his presence. And that is what I want above all. And God, thank you for my wife and thank you for my little child and thank you for the ministry I have, but you can take all of that in exchange for this. And it was the first time in my life that I realized these are wonderful blessings, but they're appetizers. And I want more of Christ. We are just living in the shadows, folks. These are just glimpses of what await So how do you fight complacency, the complacency of comfort? You've got to move from quiet ignorance to quiet anticipation. Something better is yet to come. Worship. We put on Sunday morning, I hope you do this through your week, you put Jesus in the highest place, which means what you're doing today, even this Sunday morning, we're practicing eternity today. That's what we do. We practice eternity today. Worshiping in the presence of God so our eyes are open. Keep watch. We need to fight complacency, but we also need to fight fear, the other extreme. So in times of pain and persecution, what do you do? You seek the presence of Christ. In times of persecution and pain, seek the presence of Jesus Christ. That's what verses 5 through 23 are all about. The time of Christ's crucifixion, his return. That's the time we live in. Right now is that time of verse 5 to 23. Jesus says there will be war. There will be famine. There will be family betrayal and persecution and floggings. Not constantly. They're sort of like contractions, right? Where they happen and then there's a break and then they happen and there's a break. And yet they're increasing. Jesus promised us, in this world you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Keep watch. So we need to beware of fear creeping in. Why is Jesus even telling them all of this? The answer is in verse 5. He says, watch out, let no one deceive you. You'll hear about earthquakes and wars and there will be famine and false prophets and people will hold up big signs, the end has come. And Jesus says this, it's really important. No, that's just the beginning. Don't freak out is what he's saying. Verse 7 says, do not be alarmed. So sometimes as Christians, oh, there was an earthquake, whatever, it must mean this, and ah, it might be one of the birth pangs. And we should be aware and alert. But should we fear? The answer is no. When I was um, uh, about seven years old, in the 1970s, this movie came out in churches that was super popular that freaked me out. It was called A Thief in the Night. It was about what was sort of taught at the time of the secret rapture, that Jesus was just going to return sometime unknown and everybody was, all the Christians were going to vanish and everybody else didn't know what was going on and it's sort of what was taught at that time. The opening scene is seared in my memory. A woman wakes up in bed and the clock radio goes on and the newscast is something has happened and people have vanished and some people say it's this what the Bible teaches about the return of Christ and she gets so panicked that she's left behind, right? She's still there. That she, she, she runs to find her husband in the bathroom to see what's going on. She hears him shaving, and she walks in there, and the electric razor is just sitting in the sink, and he is gone. Gives me chills. I remember it vividly. And that freaked me out. Now, I personally, through my study, don't believe that's how it's going to happen. I don't think the Bible teaches a secret rapture. I believe, actually, we will go through most of all the tribulation 
but not experience the final wrath of God. We'll meet the Lord in the air, which is a beautiful thing. That's what happened in the, in the days when a dignitary would come to town, and this happens in the book of Acts when Paul came into town. The believers come out of town and meet them, not to go away, but to meet him and finish his return. That's what's happening, I believe, in these passages. That's what my mind says. That's what I know. But you know how insidious fear is? I'm going to tell you there are a couple times where I'll wake up in the middle of the night and Tammy is not in the bed next to me. She probably got up because she wasn't feeling well. She was doing something. But she's not in the bed next to me. My first thought is, Jesus came and the pastor got left behind. Ah! Come on, some of you have been there before, right? You're kind of like, oh, no. The point is this. Do not be afraid of the return of Jesus Christ. Be ready. It's actually a glorious time. And in the meantime, there will be trial. But don't be afraid. The church of Jesus Christ is shining a light in the darkness, and we should expect pushback from the evil one. There is a battle, a battle not of flesh and blood, but of powers and principalities. That's the day we live in. But we're not asking when and what. We know the who. We know the line of the tribe of Judah has triumphed. We know that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And so what do we do? We practice the presence of Jesus Christ. And it's in our text. So let's take a look at chapter 13, verse 11. We see some of the encouragement Jesus gives us. He says, whenever you're arrested and brought to trial, that doesn't sound promising, but there it is. Do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is with us in comfort and in strength and in power. So if you're going through trial and difficulty, maybe not the great tribulations we see in the Bible, but maybe they will happen in our lifetime, what do we do? I want to suggest, like the psalmist, it's okay to cry out to God from your hospital bed, from your deathbed, from the trenches of spiritual battle, from the pain of relational heartbreak. How long, O Lord? When will you rescue me? And I want to suggest that you do with the Lord what the Lord did with his disciples in Gethsemane. And say, oh, God, keep watch with me. Stay awake with me. I don't know if I can get through this. And I will tell you that God never slumbers or sleeps. He will be awake with you through the worst of any trial you can face. Look to his coming. Verses 15 to 21 talk about even a greater distress. It's a very specific time he's warning the apostles about that will happen in AD 70, about 40 years after this is taught, where the Romans will besiege Jerusalem after a revolt and utterly destroy the temple. And read about the horrors of what happened in AD 70, and you'll see that this is not an exaggeration of what we read in the text. But he's telling them specifically about that event because he wants them to know that's going to happen in your lifetime. Those hearing me will live to see that. But that is not the end. So don't freak out. Basically, the temple is coming down because it's no longer needed. Jesus is going to make the once-for-all sacrifice. Sacrifice is no longer needed. The curtain will be torn from top to bottom in the presence of God will you realize we don't need the temple anymore. But then in verse 24, everything shifts. 
And Jesus tells them about the day of the Lord, about his coming. But in those days, following the distress, following this age we live in now, following the turmoil and tribulation yet to come for the church age, he says, in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time, it's not secret, it's not hidden, at that time people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect, that's you and me, believer, from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. This is not a time of fear for the believer. This is a time of the glorious realization. In times of peace, what do we do? We prepare for the coming crisis. In times of pain and persecution, what do we do? We seek the presence of Christ, and someday we will be in the presence of Christ, and what do we do? We enjoy his power and his glory. The glorious realization. The world will not end in a whimper and a gasp. It will end with the unveiling of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And it will be visible and it will be obvious and it will be powerful and it will be dramatic. It will be the return of Christ. Now there is a word that we hear in movies and tossed around called the apocalypse, right? When when you hear the word apocalypse, what do you think of? Nuclear war, cosmic disturbances, zombies, right? The apocalypse is a good thing. Maybe not in the way that popular culture uses it, but how can I say that the apocalypse is a good thing? Because you know where the word comes from? Apocalypse is the very first word found in the very last book of the Bible, Revelation. And that's what it means. Apocalypse means revealing, unveiling. Revelation 1.1, Apocalypsis Jesu Christu, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember what I've been saying? It's not about the what. It's not about the when. It's about the who. Why do we get so messed up reading the book of Revelation? Because we keep on going, what, when, what, when? And the book tells us right from the beginning, who? The revelation of Jesus Christ. That is the glory that awaits us. That is what we long for. It's like the mother waiting for the baby who once that baby is laid on her chest, those contractions suddenly fade. When Jesus Christ returns, there will be no more cancer, no more bombs dropped on Gaza, no more betrayal, no more suffering, no more settling for the little temporary pleasures or fighting the battle of temptation. Evil will be vanquished. Righteousness will be restored. Love wins. Christ reigns. That's what awaits us. The unveiled glory of Jesus Christ changes everything. Now our poor disciples, they're full with the Passover meal. They went over to Gethsemane. We'll see that again in a few weeks. And they utterly failed. Remember those guys? They utterly failed. But when I peek ahead just a couple of months in the story of the Bible to the book of Acts, I find something dramatically changed. You know those guys who ran and hid and denied? Just a couple months later, do you know what they're doing? They are testifying to the power of Jesus Christ. They are threatened with death. They are flogged. Exactly what Jesus said was going to happen starts happening. And do they run? Do they hide? Do they deny? They do not. They are wide awake. 
And they stand there and say, I am preaching to you Jesus Christ and I don't care what happens. What changed? What transformed these guys? They saw Jesus. The resurrected Jesus. They had a big taste of the glory to come. And that was enough to keep them awake. How do we stay awake? How do we keep watch? Only a sincere longing for Christ will overcome that complacency, will overcome that fear. Peter then later writes in his letter, Don't be surprised about the fiery trial that you are experiencing. God will get you through it until we see his glorious appearing. John, the the gospel writer, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, also the receiver of the apocalypse, the revelation of Jesus Christ in chapter 5. What a glorious passage. He's having this vision and he sees God on the throne holding the scroll sealed with seven seals that when it begins to be unsealed, the end events begin to unfold. And there's God holding it. And a voice cries out, who is able to take the scroll? Who's worthy to make the end come about? And no one is found that can do it. And John's response to the fact that the end time events may not occur, we think, oh good, we don't want all that apocalypse. No. What happens? He weeps. And he weeps because no one is found worthy to bring about the return of Christ. Then an angel taps him on his chest and says, do not fear. Look, the line of the tribe of Judah has triumphed. And he looks. And he doesn't see a line. He sees what? A lamb looking as if it has been slain in the center of the throne who is found worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because with his blood he has purchased men for God from every language and tribe and people and nation. And he will bring final redemption. Today we've experienced, I hope as we've opened God's word, a a mini revelation, a mini unveiling, a little taste of glory. But I need to caution you. Because when you leave today, that veil will begin to close again. And later today, there will be football games, and there will be winners, and there will be losers, and all kinds of news about Taylor Swift. Right? Monday morning, you're going to go to work, and to school, and your eyes will begin, begin to get heavy. And you'll think back to this morning, and you'll say, was that real? That little glimpse of heaven? Or is this daily grind real you'll either get complacent and enjoy the appetizers or you might have a difficult painful week and you wonder can I get through this and I want to tell you that both are real Jesus told us don't get complacent and do not fear I am coming again so this week when you think back to this moment someone asks you what did Scott preach about Sunday I hope you don't say he preached about the end of the world I hope you don't say he preached about wars and famine. He preached about the what and the when. I hope you say he preached about Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, risen, and coming again. Unveiled. That's what gets us through anything that is yet to come. Let's stand and gaze through that veil at our glorious Savior. Father God, 
I just pray that we don't go from this room and become complacent, become comfortable, Lord. I just pray that we can focus on you, that we can prepare in you, Lord. That we can find comfort in you. Lord, that we begin to desire you more and more each day. That we begin to get more hungry for your word, God, for your teachings, Lord. That we get a desire to love our neighbors, Lord, to love our community, to be vessels filled with your glory, God. Not to keep it to ourselves, but to share it with those around us, Lord. Father God, we just give you all the praise today in Jesus' name. Amen.